Welcome to The Bazaar. Testing, test, and we are on. I think, I think we're on. Hold on. Hello and welcome to the bazaar. This is the podcast that covers everything from mysteries, myths, conspiracies, and the supernatural. My name is Alicia Grek, and I will be your tour guide into the world of the weird. Please keep all limbs inside the vehicle at all times. Episodes of The Bazaar go up every Friday, so make sure you turn on all notifications to get your Bazaar fix. The Bazaar will deal with mature subject matter, language, and disturbing content. You have been warned. There are some real crazy events that to this day no one has ever solved. Arguably one of the most famous unsolved mysteries is the incident at Dytlov Pass. Now, as a preamble for this first episode, I am not Russian, nor do I speak any Russian whatsoever, so the pronunciations of some of these words, names, and places are going to be real rough, so bear with me. Why, Alicia, did you choose to do a Russian incident as the first episode? Why, I have no idea. I guess I like to make things hard on myself. Today, most of my information comes from an article from Forbes, written by David Brezen, as well as allthatsinteresting.com, with an article written by Gabe Paoletti. Both are really interesting articles that I would recommend checking out if you would like to learn more. In January of 1959, a group of nine students from the Ural Polytechnical Institute, as well as a ski instructor, departed from the city of Sverdlovsk, which is today's Yekaterinburg, Russia. These 10 individuals were seasoned hikers and on an expedition to the northern Urals in the mountains. Now, right about now, you're one of two groups. You're either the kind that thinks, wow, that sounds so pretty, or you're me, who couldn't be paid enough money to go out cross-country skiing in Russia in the middle of January. But I guess that's neither here nor there. This treacherous and long expedition was led by Alexkovich Daitlov, a seasoned mountaineer and general badass, I'd imagine, who may even drink vodka straight out of the bottle. Over the next couple of days, the expedition group traveled first to the city of Videl, then to Vizhay on a bus. Once they passed these two towns, they settled into Sector 41. Sector 41, otherwise known as a woodcutting settlement, was one of their second last stops on the trip. Their last stop was an abandoned geological site by the name of Nord 2. Nord 2 is the last human settlement in the area and the last location where the group would have come into contact with any other outside people. Now, at this point, one of the students in the group, Yuri Yudin, began to feel really sick. Severe pain kind of sick. He was so sick he was unable to continue with the rest of his journey, so Yuri headed back while the remaining group of nine would continue as planned. Little did he know that would be the last time he saw his friends ever again. The remaining of the expedition group continued on past the Aspuria River into the mountains as planned. Now today, little is really known about the group's experiences. Although some physical evidence, such as photos and journal entries, suggests that everything was at least normal within the group, despite the awful weather conditions that were coming in. Like I said, this is Russian wilderness in January. Not exactly prime vacation location, people. Because of the snowstorms, the hiking team suffered from decreasing visibility. Instead of moving in the right direction towards their original endpoint, they accidentally deviated west, which led them to the slope of a nearby mountain. This mountain is known as Klot 
Zweikel, meaning dead mountain. No, I'm not shitting you, the dead mountain. At this point, it sounds like an awful Netflix horror movie and I'm not down for it. You couldn't pay me enough money to camp on the side of this mountain. Regardless, the group of hikers stopped along the slope and decided to make camp. That night, the unthinkable happened, or the unsolvable. On February 1st, in the middle of the night, an unknown event caused the group to cut their way out of their tents from the inside and set out into the middle of the snow, undressed, with temperatures dropping far below minus 20. No one would survive. When the expedition group never checked in at their final location or returned from their journey, friends and family began to worry. A search party was sent up into the mountain pass and on February 26th, the bodies were discovered. What the search party found that day was nothing short of a nightmare. They noticed the tents were cut open from the inside and most of the team's items, including several pairs of thick winter boots, were left behind untouched. The search team also discovered footprints, clearly made by people in bare feet. The pattern of these footsteps were not indicating any kind of struggle, running, or any kind of chaos. They were all in the same direction, printed in a calmly walking manner through the snow. The first two bodies were found severely undressed. No pants, no gloves, no jackets, no boots. These two were lying in the snow in their undergarments. At the time of their death, it would have been minus 30, maybe even colder. The next three bodies were found at varying distances between the woods and the camp. This next group was better dressed than the previous two, but were still missing essential items such as boots, hats, gloves, and jackets. They were found all facing the directions of the camp, but in separate positions. All five students died from hypothermia with no indication of severe external damage beyond the cold. So far, we have five dead hikers out of a group of nine. The last four members of the hiking expedition were not actually uncovered until May later on in that year. These individuals were found at the bottom of a ravine. Due to the snow, they were covered in high layers and had originally been missed. They were located 75 meters from where their camp was in the opposite direction of the tents. Three of these hikers had sustained fatal injuries two of which suffered from punctured lungs, which led to massive internal bleeding. The third had multiple skull fractures occurring in moments before his death. At the time, the medical examiner compared these injuries to extreme force, similar to someone being hit by a car. These injuries were so severe that it would be impossible they were inflicted by another human being. The final of the four was found in the most gruesome position. Dubonina was her name, and she was missing her tongue completely out of her mouth, both of her eyes, part of her lower lip, as well as facial tissue. This final group of four bodies dropped down the ravine suggested that these hikers died at a different time than the other five on the slope, possibly after as they were at least a little bit more dressed than the first two groups. The Russian authorities at the time were quick to close the case, basically sweeping it all under the rug with the most suspicious explanation a person could ever give. Their conclusion on a cause of death was, and I quote, an unknown compelling force which the hikers were unable to overcome. I don't know about you, but that's the lamest conclusion someone could ever give in regards to this bizarre occurrence. 
Okay, so I'm no expert, clearly, but to me that explanation is as good as the dog ate my homework. With all this information, I'm trying to piece together their campsite. In my head, there's a flat, open area where the tents are, and past that is a dense forest on one side. Past the dense forest, there's a slope down into a ravine. It was dark, cold. With all that snow and wind, there's no way you'd be able to tell where you were going. It makes sense to me that they froze to death, but there are so many other variables in my head that is just spinning over. None of this explains what happened to Dubinina's face, or why everybody suddenly fleed from their tents in the middle of the night in the same direction after they cut themselves out of their tents from the inside, or the extreme and severe damage done to the bodies down the ravine like they had been hit by a massive and powerful vehicle. I'm frustrated, to say the least. This case has so many holes in it, and I don't even know where to begin with the theories. But I will try my best and lay them all out for you, and hopefully come to a conclusion on which one I think is the most probable to solve the mystery of this case. The first theory is based around the Mansi tribesmen of the area. Many Russians suspected the hikers were the result of an ambush by the local Mansi tribesmen. The sudden attack would account for the random and abrupt fleeing of their tents and their disarray and the damage done to the final group of bodies found in the ravine, but there's also a lot wrong with this theory. The Manzi people were largely known for their peaceful demeanor and lack of physical evidence didn't support any violent or human conflict at all. A point I'd like to go back to is the fact that the physical trauma on the bodies in the ravine exceeded the blunt force trauma possible for one human being to afflict on another. So I ask what then would cause the blunt force trauma on these bodies? It's not like the Mansi tribe had a giant tank that they could roll over a bunch of people. Also, let's say there were a group of people that came and tried to harm these hikers. How come they didn't leave any footprints or any external physical evidence? Also, why were the hikers' footprints calmly moving in one direction, as if they were not running away from something they were scared of? The second theory is associated with avalanches and the common effects of hypothermia. It is possible that collapsing snow would have been enough of a noise to frighten the hikers out of their tents in a rush, and that would account for why they had no time to dress before running away. An avalanche would have also been strong enough of a force, all those heavy pounds of snow to inflict the injuries that killed that second group of students down in the ravine. But there's also a problem with this theory. Now, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but why would an experienced group of hikers make camp in a spot that was so vulnerable to avalanches? They were also traveling with a mountaineer who surely would not have let anybody sleep in an area that would be dangerous. Researchers and web sleuths tried to explain the hikers' strange behavior and lack of clothing with a closer look at the effects of hypothermia. When someone is suffering from severe hypothermia, it's actually possible for that person to experience irrationality and think they are overheating, resulting in removed clothes. In this version, then the second group just stumbled right off the edge of that ravine. Could be possible it was dark enough. On closer inspection of the case, Researchers have found something that poked a gigantic hole in this theory. There was traces of radioactivity found on the clothing on the bodies of the hikers. Then, of course, there's the turn towards the paranormal, which honestly at this point sounds just as probable as all the other theories we're hearing about. 
people began to gossip that the hikers were killed by a menk, a kind of Russian yeti or something. This theory is popular among those people who really focus on the physical damage to the bodies found in the ravine, specifically to Dubinina's face. But I don't really know what a yeti would want with her eyes, her tongue, and her lower lip. Along with the suggestions of a yeti, we also have the UFO people who seem to believe this incident was the visitation of our extraterrestrial buddies, whoever they are, which would explain for the general oddity of the situation. The half-naked bodies, the missing eyeballs, the tongue, are aliens into that? I don't really know. The only slight evidence we have to support this UFO theory is by the last photograph taken by one of the hikers. Now, when I look at this photo, it doesn't look like much at all. It's really out of focus, black and white. But we do know that this photo was taken in the middle of the night, pointed up at the sky towards some weird, out of focus light source. Unfortunately, it's too hard to tell what it is. It could be the spark off of a campfire or perhaps something more sinister. Now, others suggest that the events on Deutschlov Pass point to a larger and covert military cover-up. I'm usually pretty wary of military cover-ups, but this theory actually has the highest probability, in my opinion, in relation to the other explanations that are offered. On the bodies of the hikers, as I mentioned before, there were small traces of radiation, leading people to the conclusion that the students had been killed by some sort of secret or radioactive weapon. Now it's only fair, like the other theories, that I point out the plot holes in this theory as well. While the funerals for the victims were kept very private with family members and others, there was a kind of strange appearance of the bodies that were reported at the funerals. The corpses had a slightly abnormal orange tinge to them. But if radiation had been the cause of death for these hikers, the radiation expressed in their systems should have been stronger in order to have that apparent effect that it did of discoloration. In fact, with further testing of the corpses, the orange hue led to the correlation of the frigid conditions they were found in. Basically, the hikers had been so frozen they were partially mummified, leading to the orange state. But is there still a possibility of weird military interference? The Dytilov Pass incident occurred during the reign of the Soviet Union. Some hypothesize that the group of students was unfortunate and came across the USSR testing a popular concussive weapon, or a parachute mine exercise over the mountain pass. I know this sounds like the plotline of a weird action movie that takes place in Soviet Russia, but it is probable. This is because it was supported by actual witnesses. During the time of the original hiking group, there was another team camping 50 kilometers away from Deutlov Pass on the same night. Now again, this is the only theory that contains eyewitness accounts. This second hiking group explained seeing strange, orange orbs lighting up the night sky. A lot of people interpret the explanation of strange glowing orbs as different explosions appearing over dense cloud cover because of all the snowstorms. The idea goes that the sound of the nearby concussions drove the hikers from their tents in a complete panic. Half-clothed, the first group died of hypothermia while attempting to take shelter from the blasts by hiding in the nearby tree line. The second group, having seen the first two individuals freeze to death, determined to try and return to their belongings at camp, but they also froze to death on their way back. 
The third group got caught in a fresh blast further into the forest and were unfortunately flung into the ravine below where they were found months later. In 1990, Lev Ivanov, the chief investigator of the case said, I suspected at the time and am almost sure now that these bright flying spheres had a direct connection to the group's death. Conveniently, after coming forward with this idea, the USSR forced him to abandon this line of questioning. Now that's absolutely fucking shady. After that occurrence, nobody has ever touched this case until 2019 when the Russian government announced that they were trying to reopen it. So I ask, why now? More than 60 years later, the incident at Daitlov Pass is still unsolved and completely bizarre. Alright, and that concludes the first official episode of The Bazaar. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, review, subscribe, whatever you have to do if you want to see this podcast keep on keeping on. You can find The Bazaar on Facebook at The Bazaar. Look for the same logo that you see here. And you can find The Bazaar on Instagram at The Bazaar Pod. Peace out, nerds.